So do you ever look around, maybe look at the news, maybe look at social media, and wonder what in the world is going on? Ask yourself, why, how have things gotten as bad as they have? Um, the, the psalmist definitely did that. We, we often hear them crying out uh, about what they saw, about what they heard, about what they experienced all around them. Uh, and that's the case that we have this morning. We're going to look at Psalm 12. Um, the psalmist often felt all alone, um, painfully conscious of what a tiny minority they were. We, we get that, don't we? We, we can... We can commiserate with that, trying to live as Christians in an increasingly hostile culture uh, where we can easily, if we're honest, we can become pariahs pretty quickly uh, just for stubbornly holding on to ancient truths uh, that have always been a part of the Orthodox Christian faith. Um, It's easy to feel like it's us versus them. Um, So we finished two weeks ago uh, our last chunk of Genesis. We're going to take a break from Genesis before we finish it. Uh, We're going to actually next week be starting uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians uh, and working our way through that. Um, uh, But today, being a holiday weekend and all, thought maybe not the best Sunday to start a brand new series. So I thought we'd take a look at uh, another psalm. It's something that I've done in between series. Um, And so if you think... 12. Well, that's just random. Why Psalm 12? Well, because actually I've I've done 1 through 11 in succession. Um, I'm sure you remember them all. Um, You can go dig back on the website if you want to find any of those. Um, So 12 this morning has just happened in in succession where where I am. Um, And it's actually 12 is the third psalm in a row uh, where the psalmist is disturbed by what's going on around him. Uh, discouraged by all the wickedness that seems so prevalent. And so, of course, I don't think it'll be too difficult for us to to find some relevance here to our own day. I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word. It's not too long of a psalm. Eight verses. Uh, Psalm 12 is a psalm of David and begins like this. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. 
On every side, the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of men. May God bless the preaching of his inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Uh, Let's pray. Father, would you help us this morning? Would you, through the power of your spirit, speak to us? These are your very words. And you are speaking to us this morning for this very moment that we find ourselves in. In Orangeburg, South Carolina, 2023. All of the various things that we face, the struggles that we encounter, uh, the the concern, the, the disturbance, the discouragement oftentimes of living as your followers in a, in a culture that is hostile to you. And so, Lord, would you grant us great wisdom from your word? Would you grant us a right understanding of how we should view ourselves, of of most importantly, how we should view you and not only view you, but but trust you. So would you help us in all these things this morning? Would you speak to us and would you speak clearly and powerfully through your word and through your spirit? We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. I so enjoyed studying this psalm this week. I was reminded yet again just how wonderful God's Word is. Um, And truly full of of wonder. Uh, Specifically in how it is so easy to understand on the one hand. right, And so rich and deep and inexhaustible on the other. And it's both of those things at the same time. And and, and you see that here in this psalm. Anybody can pick this this thing up right here and, and benefit from it. A child can. An uneducated person can. It is not cryptic. On the whole, it is not confusing. Anybody can pick this up and take away from it life-changing truths. And at the same time, the most educated and learned of us can pick it up and spend their entire lives studying its truths without ever ceasing to be surprised by what they find, delighted by what they find, thoroughly satisfied with what they find uh, and discover. And this psalm is no exception. There's lots of low-hanging fruit. Right? The message is just very simple. And yet there are some things that the longer you speak, spend chewing on it, the more the truths begin to emerge and you begin to see their depths and their, and their beauty. So well, let me quickly give you the lay of the land here for this psalm. Uh, first, we've got a complaint by the psalmist, and there's a request along with that complaint. Then we get a response from the Lord to that complaint. And then we get a response from the psalmist to what the Lord has spoken. And so I want to work through those essentially three parts there, give you a few insights along the way, and then come back at the end with kind of what I felt like were the, for for me at least, the top three takeaways, the top three ways that I think we can apply this psalm to where we are today and what we're facing today. So we'll start with the complaint. Now, this is one of the main things for me that changed this week the longer I chewed on it. 
Because at first reading, I said, okay, we've got one more psalm, because 10 and 11 were like that. We've got one more psalm here where the psalmist is complaining about all the wicked folks around him. They're everywhere, and that is so discouraging. It's even terrifying at times. Causes the psalmist to fear for his safety. That's what he's crying out for, right? He's, he's crying out for salvation, for rescue. And so it took a while. It took for me several more readings. Because when you're studying Scripture, right, you don't just read it once and that's it, right? No, you read it again and again and Pick it apart and you, you stop and you think about what you've read. The, the psalmist in, in Psalm 119, the, the longest chapter of the Bible, the longest of all the psalms, is all about God's word and, and, and the value and the virtue and the beauty of God's word. The psalmist there says he meditates on it day and night. That doesn't mean I, I keep reading more and more of it. It means I take what I have read, maybe even just a little part. Maybe just one verse, or maybe just one phrase in one verse. A single word, even. You soak your heart and your mind in it. You, you search out God's Word, and you let God's Word search you out. And, and so as I tried to do that this week, I eventually realized this psalm isn't just like 10 and 11. those that are also complaining about being surrounded by the wicked. That's not exactly what the psalmist is complaining about here. It's not technically the presence of the wicked that has him all stirred up, but the absence of the godly and the faithful. That's what he's complaining about, and that's a little different from 10 and 11. Where are they? They have gone. They have vanished. And so it took me a while to realize that. I thought about it. It took me a while longer to then finally ask the question, well, where did they go? They were here at one point. There were some faithful here. There were some godly here. Where did they go? It's an important question to ask, I think. Now, we don't know whether or not these once godly and faithful ones became these wicked ones in question, doing all that the psalmist complains of, or if their absence just makes handling all these wicked people that much more difficult, right? If there were more of us, right, there would be strength in numbers, there would be solidarity and camaraderie and it would be easier. We don't know which is the case, whether the, the formerly faithful ones became these wicked ones. We don't know. We also don't know where they went. Did they desert the faith? Well, that's certainly a real possibility, isn't it? Many in Israel left the Lord, fell victim to idolatries of, of all kinds. They, they intermarried with the pagans around them, in disobedience to God's prohibition. They began to worship their little g-gods instead of the one true God. Lots of people start out well, but don't finish well. 
Right? That's, a, that's a frequent theme in Jesus' teaching. Right? We've, we've, got, we've got parables about lots of seed being sown. Right? And lots of response. Right? Lots of seeds that sprout. <laughs> and they show a good start. They begin to grow only later to wither and die. To, to be choked out by, by the cares of the world. Or, or, or sometimes you, you see folks crash and burn when they are overly confident. Trying to follow Jesus by their own willpower. Think about Peter, for goodness sake. And so I came to some realizations. I asked some questions in this study of this psalm that I didn't find specific answers to. Right? But I don't think that means that was, wasn't time well spent. I, I think maybe just the benefit of all of that for me, where did they go? <laughs> Who did they become? Right? Um, it's just to serve as, as a word of caution. J- just to pour, pour a little bit of cool water on some of the us versus them angst and, and maybe even rage that we feel at times. All those wicked people out there. It, it's sobering, but important to at least consider the possibility that some of the them could come from the us. Right? That's a real possibility. That maybe not all of our problems are out there. Those bad people out there, but that there could also be problems in here among us. And so it just makes you want to cling to the grace of Jesus a little more tightly. The psalmist gets to the big problem in, in verse 2. What are these wicked people doing, whoever they are, wherever they came from? What are they doing? And it's all about deceit and falsehood. The ESV translates it lies, but this, this is more than, than just failing to tell the truth. This is more than just, hey, did you, did you eat the candy I told you not to eat and lying and saying that you didn't when you really... It, it's more than that. Literally, the word here it is emptiness. It, it, it's related to, to vanity. Um, uh, words are spoken that are empty of meaning. Words are spoken that there's no substance to them. And the first example that the psalmist gives is is flattery. Oh, flattery is is so dangerous. Um, If you read the Proverbs, the uh, Proverbs talks a lot about flattery, uh, how it works ruin, uh, how the one who flatters spreads a net at someone's feet. I'm, I'm, I'm only wanting you to feel good about yourself because I think it'll make it easier for me to get what I want. Um, and, and it really is pretty wicked when you, when you think about it. How, how it preys on one of mankind's universal weaknesses. Because who of us doesn't love uh, to be told how great we are? Be told how how good looking we are, or 
are, how smart we are, how capable. Um, one of the commentators that I read, um, Derek Kidner, he's, he's great, great, great in the Psalms. Um, and he has a really good section on this. And he just talks about how deadly flattery can be. And he says, because of the pleasure it gives and the addiction it creates. He says, its comfort becomes indispensable. We just can't get enough of it. It makes us feel so good. And the one doing the flattering knows it makes us feel so good. And so it's just this terrible combination of, of this evil intent and our longing and our desperation to hear something good about ourselves. Uh, so it mentions flattery, flattering lips, and then also uh, those who speak with a double heart. And literally in the Hebrew, this is speaking with a heart and a heart. This is uh, talking out of both sides of my mouth. Uh, This is saying one thing and meaning something else. Or saying uh, one thing and intending something completely different uh, to happen. Doing so, there's an ulterior motive. So verse 3 gets, I told you there was a request included with this complaint, and that's in verse 3. Uh, the request that the psalmist makes of the Lord. And it's a request for judgment, plain and simple. It's a request for God to intervene, to set things right. Uh, And so the imagery is kind of graphic, to cut off the lips that flatter, the tongue that pridefully boasts. But when you you think about Old Testament Scripture as a whole, uh, to be cut off, right, Uh, is uh, a definitive act of judgment on God's part. Uh, For someone to be cut off from the Lord, cut off from God's people, uh, it's the worst thing that can happen to you. And and the psalmist isn't asking for this uh, capriciously uh, or really even vindictively. He knows God to be holy and righteous and just. He wants him to act accordingly because it's not right for these people to do what they're doing you see in verse four to boast in the way that they do they are arrogant they recognize the power that their words have destructive power we will prevail our lips are with us they know exactly what they're doing with their words they're wielding them like a sword cutting whoever they need to cut to get whatever they want and flagrantly thumbing their nose in rebellion against God the whole time. Well, this gets the Lord's attention for sure. The psalmist cries out and lo and behold, verse 5, the Lord answers. He speaks. Now, lots of the psalms have the psalmist crying out to the Lord. Um, But recording his response is actually a little bit more rare. Psalm 12 is the first one in the Psalter that records uh, God's response like this. There are a few others uh, along the way. Uh, But God responds. He speaks. He promises to act. He promises to bring safety. But I want you to note his motivation. What is it that moves him? It's not simply the cry for help. 
it's not simply the vile and wicked things that are going on. It's it's the damage those things are causing. The, The poor, the needy, they're harmed in all of this. That's what causes him to spring to action, to to arise. The plight of the poor and the needy always gets God's attention. Always. The plight of the poor and the needy always gets God's attention. Read through the scriptures and you see that. But that's not only true in the physical realm, it's also incredibly true in the spiritual realm. The plight of the poor and the needy gets God's attention. God is not on the search for a few good men. God is not on the lookout for folks who have it all together and who just need a little boost. He's not looking for folks who have put in the work and just need a little extra nudge to get them over the finish line. No. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. There's something about poverty that gets the Lord's attention. There's something about being needy, um, sick even. Think about Jesus describing why he came. Healthy don't need a doctor, the sick do. That's why I've come. That's the essence of the gospel, right? We don't just need a boost. We don't just need a little helping hand or a little extra nudge. We need resurrection. We need resuscitation from the dead. We need life. Because we're dead in our sin and in our rebellion. We need blind eyes to be opened to see the beauty of Christ offered in the gospel. We need be able to see Christ dying on the cross as our substitute. We need our deaf ears unstopped to hear the call of the gospel saying, repent and believe, trust in him. We are needy. We are impoverished. And that's exactly what gets our Savior's attention. It's the consistent theme of scripture that we'll do well not to forget. So the Lord responds in verse 5, and and then we've got verse 6. Great words about God's words. And so one of the things that I'm still chewing on and never really resolved for myself, I I don't know if if verse 6 is God talking about the value of what he has to say or whether it's the psalmist extolling the value of what God has said. Um, uh, And in the end, I don't think it really matters, regardless of, of who is Talking about the value, the value is great. His words are pure. The melting point of silver. 
I didn't just know it, I had to Google it. 1,700 degrees. That's pretty hot. You heat it up that hot and everything that's not silver doesn't exist anymore. Burns away. And then repeat that six more times. That's how pure God's word is. What God says can be trusted. Which is quite a far cry from all the deceptive words that have been spewed out before. And we see the response from the psalmist to what God has said. To these pure words, they are as good as done. He's going to keep them. You will keep these words of God. You will do what you said. You will guard us. And not just today, forever. Don't you, don't you hear the confidence now that comes from the psalmist? The, the wicked surrounding us, yeah, they don't stand a chance. <laughs> and so that, that, that really brings me to the first of, of my three final points of application here. Um, when you're discouraged, uh, when you are alarmed, maybe even afraid of what you see around you, when you're feeling the pinch of being a teeny tiny minority, when you're feeling that it's me against the world, it's us versus them, you could stand to have your mindset corrected just a bit. Because it's not really us versus them. When the wicked are doing their thing, lying, rebelling, boasting, it's not them versus us. In reality, it is them versus him. That's what we got to remember. He's the one they contend with. If you feel outnumbered, you are. If you feel outmatched, you are. It's too much for us to handle. But here's what we've got to remember. They're not ours to handle in the first place. The Lord is more than capable. He doesn't need us. He might use us at times, but not because he has to, not because he needs to. So number one here, remind yourself. Remind yourself frequently. It's them versus him. Second thing that I think is important here when you feel discouraged, when you feel overwhelmed, and you will. Right? The psalmist definitely did. But what do the what do we see them do in those times of discouragement and fear? Right? Do we see them pout? Well, actually sometimes yes. 
Okay, uh, Do we see them shake their fists at the Lord? Also, yes. Do we see them rant and rage on social media? Well, if they had it, <laughs> they probably would have done that too. Which, you know, all of this just points to the raw reality and what a gift of grace the Psalms are to us. Here are folks just like us, struggling. Right? But what do we eventually see them do? Just like in Psalm 12, we eventually see them cry out to the Lord. It, may, it might start with pouting. <laughs> it might start with shaking a fist. But it always gets around where it needs to be. They're crying out to the Lord, help, save me. How long, Lord? And so here's the beauty of this. We have a God that we can cry out to. We have a God who cares. We have a God who listens, who responds. He receives us. He hears us. He saves us. So avail yourself of that great grace the next time you are fighting discouragement, feeling all alone, cry out to him. Here's the final thing. After you've cried out, after you've heard from the Lord, you've you've been reminded from his word about his trustworthiness, his guarding you, his never leaving you, never forsaking you. After all that's said and done, Don't be alarmed if nothing on the surface changes. Did you notice how this psalm ends exactly as it began? Verse 8, after crying out, after God speaking, after the great confession of confident trust, the wicked are still on the prowl. They're still celebrating, exalting their wickedness. See, the point of all of this is not to see the circumstances change. Though sometimes they will. The point of all of this is to see the psalmist changed. To see you and me change. In the middle of of difficult circumstances. And that's what happens. Through the power of the gospel, that's what happens. See, when when we step back and we take a look at the gospel and we think, what has happened here? I have been saved from my greatest and eternal danger from the worst plight and problem I will ever face. I've been saved. I've been rescued. I've been delivered from that. And so that has to change the perspective on whatever this is that I'm in the middle of. If that's been taken care of, well then, this is, might be unpleasant. It might be uncomfortable. It might be painful, but... In the end, it's nothing 
Romans 8, that can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. Right? If, if he's gotten me out of that, if, if Romans 8.32, he didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things that we need? Rest in that. Rest in that. Circumstances might not be changed, but you'll be changed through the gospel's power. Let's pray. Father, Uh, Would you help us to remember these things? Would you help us to put these things into practice? Lord, we often do feel discouraged. We often do feel the pinch of of being this teeny tiny minority. And we, we gravitate sort of instinctively to an us versus them mentality. And that's not helpful in a bunch of regards. But Lord, if we could just see that It's them versus you and that you've got this. If we can remember to cry out to you because you hear us. If we can remember that you want to change us more than you want to change our circumstances. Bring to us the faith that we need to believe your goodness and your trustworthiness. to, uh, To get into these pure words of yours on the regular we might be comforted by them and changed by them. Lord, this is what we need. Would you please work it into our hearts even now. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake.